this is just an extra step for us, so we don't see it as a huge problem. Some normalcy at the nightclub. How businesses are preparing for tomorrow's launch of the province's vaccine card mandate. Plus, we don't want anyone to be concerned about their safety. Don't take your anger out on frontline workers. From polling stations to restaurants, the growing incidence of harassment and... That choice has got implications for everyone around you. An Indigenous man urging all First Nations communities to get vaccinated as his sister and her son are both in the ICU with COVID-19. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Monday is a day many British Columbians have been anticipating or dreading depending on your viewpoint of the vaccine passport plan. The requirement to prove you've been immunized with at least one dose in order to access some non-essential businesses and services kicks in tomorrow. Our Grace Key begins our coverage at a legendary Vancouver nightclub that's finally set to reopen this week. The sign at the legendary Penthouse nightclub in downtown Vancouver doesn't mince words when it comes to the vaccine passport. After being closed for a year and a half during the pandemic, they're back open on Thursday. The man behind the marquee needed to come up with something clever. I had a lot of pressure, like pressure on me of people being like, what's the one going to be when you open? And I really didn't have one until that came up the other day. Workers have downloaded the verification app, and as they demonstrate, a camera scans the QR code. Then your name and proof of vaccination pops up. A valid government ID is also needed, something nightclubs are already used to asking for. For a nightclub, we're already going to be checking your ID when you come in. This is just an extra step for us, so we don't see it as a huge problem. Starting Monday, anyone 12 and older will have to have at least one dose of the COVID vaccine to access non-essential services, such as restaurants, sporting events, gyms and theatres. At the fish counter on Vancouver's Main Street, they have a retail section and restaurant. Most of the business involves takeout with a few seats for indoor dining. But with the new vaccine passport, the manager says they'll likely only offer takeout. I'm, you know, so understaffed at the moment. A lot of businesses are. So, you know, we're focusing on so many other things. And the, the eight seats... We just get rid of them and uh, we'll stick to what we did two years ago and to now, right, which is just take up. By October 24th, you must be fully vaccinated to access non-essential businesses. The requirement is in place until January 31st, 2022 and could be extended. Grace Key, Global News. Staff at many municipalities and districts are also scrambling this weekend to figure out how this latest public health order affects access to city-run facilities like fitness centers in community centers. As Amatagahi reports, fears also exist that it will lead to backlash against frontline workers. Starting tomorrow, yet another new normal and a new chapter in BC's COVID-19 pandemic story. The first day of the vaccine cart. I think within a week or two, most people will just kind of think of it as normal. As of Saturday night, 1.7 million British Columbians had accessed their proof of vaccination online. My daughter helped me put it on my iPad. I don't have a phone, but I have an iPad. <laughs> While it's clear that restaurants, pubs and movie theaters may be the most common places a COVID-19 immunization record is required at the door, the city of Vancouver says its staff are working through the weekend to determine what civic facilities will fall under the new provincial health order as well. 
And here is where you'll need to pay specific attention to the activity that may be going on inside that civic-run facility. For example, attending an event at the local arts theater or working out at a public fitness center will require a proof of immunization. But going to the public library or attending City Hall for some in-person business will not. As long as those facilities that have been said that you can come in, do it in a safe as possible way. Up until now, the hospitality industry leaders have been clear about their concern for front-of-house workers who may encounter frustrated anti-vaxxers. Lauren Lavallee is a prime example of that. The 18-year-old student starts a part-time job hosting at a restaurant on Monday. I'm worried that there's going to be some kind of lashback from that and I feel like a lot of people are kind of going to get angry and take it out on the frontline workers. And the same concern now expected within city staff who are also navigating something completely new. Uh, you know, be thoughtful and be kind to each other. We're all um, have been in this pandemic together and we've all been learning as we've gone through the different stages. Um, so um, we're trying to get to the other side where access to services is still available, but we're minimizing risk at the same time. On Monday, if you are asked for it, a vaccine card will need to show at least one dose. On October 24th, the requirement is for full vaccination. Amadagahi, Global News. The proof of vaccination process in most privately run fitness centres across B.C. will be a little different. The Fitness Council of Canada represents thousands of private fitness facilities across the country. And the B.C. division says it's been working with provincial health officials on how the vaccine card plan would work for their member facilities. They're also concerned that those opposed to the mandates will take out their anger and frustration on front desk staff. We've worked with BC Public Health and Dr. Henry's office uh, quite intimately in, in giving them an understanding of how we have so many members that are coming in and out of our facilities and consistent visits. So for ease of access with fitness facilities, with written consent in your actual gym, we're actually able to register your vaccine status in our software. So it's a one and done process for our fitness members. If you have a concern about the process, approach us privately, have that conversation in advance and have the respect for the front desk staff that they're not making these decisions. They are doing their best to keep the doors of fitness open in this province. And a reminder of the timeline of how the vaccine card is being phased in. As we've said, the proof of the first dose starts tomorrow. And from September 13th to the 26th, you can use the vaccine record you received at the clinic or the pharmacy. Starting on September 27th, only the vaccine card will be accepted. And by October 24th, you must be one week removed from receiving two doses. Elections Canada says abusive voters will be asked to leave polling stations after online reports of poll workers being mistreated. Since advanced polls opened on Friday, at least one poll worker in Cloverdale Langley City claims she's been verbally abused. In a post shared on social media, she reminds voters that election workers don't deserve to be yelled or shouted at and shouldn't have to worry about their safety in the face of racial slurs or anti-maskers. Her writing says now it has security at all polling stations. Elections Canada says abuse is never acceptable and it's upsetting to hear people have been through this. And it's very sad that there are people that are behaving extremely badly and ruining this experience for everyone. We don't want anyone to be concerned about their safety at the polls because that is... 
our priority. And that means electors and poll workers. Meantime, Elections Canada has released preliminary voter turnout numbers during the first day of advanced polls. An estimated 1.3 million Canadians cast their ballot in person on Friday. That number is higher than the first day of advanced polls in the last federal election. Advanced polling stations are open from now until tomorrow. Those wanting to apply to vote by mail must do so by Tuesday. And that ballot must be returned on or before Election Day, which is next Monday, September 20th. One man is dead following a police-involved shooting in Victoria. Just before 10 o'clock this morning, officers got a report of an armed man in crisis making threats. It happened near Mayfair Mall. He may have also been responsible for a liquor store robbery. Victoria police say they will only note that they were engaged with the man for about an hour. They will not reveal why officers then opened fire. No one else was hurt during the incident, and now the Independent Investigations Office is looking into it. Fortis, B.C. is increasing natural gas rates across the province starting next month. As of October 1st, customers on the Lower Mainland, Vancouver Island and in the interior, as well as Revelstoke, will see their gas rates jump by $1 per gigajoule. Those in Fort Nelson will see an increase of just under $1 per gigajoule. For the majority of customers, the average energy bill will go up by $8 per month. With market prices increasing, Fortis says rates are rising to reflect the higher cost of acquiring natural gas. In Burnaby, RCMP are investigating a serious crash that sent a cyclist to hospital. It happened at McPherson Avenue and Beresford Street this afternoon. It appears a black Volkswagen collided with a cyclist. The cyclist was rushed to hospital with serious injuries. The area has been closed to traffic for hours as investigators comb the scene. One person is dead following a house fire in Chilliwack. Crews say 35 firefighters responded to the blaze on Butchart Street near McCaffrey Boulevard around 7.15 Saturday morning. Crews arrived to find flames shooting out of a basement window. The fire was quickly knocked down before firefighters found a man dead inside the basement bedroom. The bedroom had heavy damage while the rest of the house sustained smoke and water damage. The cause of the blaze is believed to be accidental. The Safe Surrey Coalition has responded to Councillor Brenda Locke's claims that city bylaw officers were being directed to issue tickets to those advocating for a referendum on the future of Surrey policing. The Surrey Police Vote Group needs to collect signatures from at least 10% of registered voters in 87 ridings by mid-November. That's in order for them to be able to move forward with a referendum. That referendum would ask whether Surrey residents want to keep the RCMP or move to a Surrey police force. Mayor Doug McCallum has already given the transition a thumbs up, but petition volunteers say they're running into trouble after a bylaw officer handed them a ticket yesterday. And in a statement, Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum says the bylaw is clear and in place for the city and enjoyment of all Surrey residents, regardless of political beliefs, race, religion, gender or cultural background. Councillor Locke is well aware of our obligation as elected officials to make public spaces welcoming for everyone. And yet she's chosen to completely disregard this fundamental principle with her actions yesterday. After the break, an Indigenous family's vaccine plea. Just do it. Um, you you got to think about more than just yourself. They're warning to others in First Nations communities as two relatives battle severe cases of COVID-19 in the ICU. 
And later, President Biden's new vaccine order as the U.S. hits another COVID-19 milestone no one wanted to reach. An indigenous family from Kamloops who's experiencing COVID-19's devastation firsthand is urging people to talk to their loved ones about vaccination. Tyrone Joseph knows First Nations have long been distrustful of government and Western medicine, but he says the consequences of vaccine hesitancy are not worth it. Kristen Robinson has more. Just do it. You got to think about more than just yourself. 28-year-old Marcus Meyer got his first dose a week ago. For the most part, it was uh, probably the safety of those closest to me and uh, the uh, her right there. (laughs) Meyer's daughter Brinley helping push him past his previous distrust and concern over side effects. His girlfriend also works in healthcare. You have to realize you can indirectly affect other people's lives just by being selfish. I kind of just bit the bullet, and uh, since uh, it's basically becoming mandated, I just decided it was was time. His father, behind a powerful Twitter thread, shared widely. My sister and her adult son are both in ICU in Vancouver. Sister in induced coma, 30-year-old son can't breathe, both unvaxxed. Get vaccinated, pleads Tyrone Joseph. Really, it was like a, a frustration with with people who still refuse to get vaccinated. Certainly, you have a choice. You have a choice not to be vaccinated. But those choices, that choice has got implications for everyone around you. Joseph and his wife, who had a COVID wedding last October, couldn't wait to get immunized. Even his 11-year-old daughter got the shot thanks to a late December birthday. But he says his large extended family not vaccinated. You know, as Indigenous people, um, you know, I, I, I understand that there is distrust of, of government and health care. The province's messaging might not resonate with everyone, he says, and conversation is key. There needs to be a more personal connection. And it's really unfortunate that it takes someone you know and love and close with uh, to be fighting for their lives to be able to start having these discussions with your family. Meantime, Joseph is apologizing. If your loved one can't get an ICU bed in VGH, I'm sorry, he says, I really am. I'll try. I'll plead with any remaining Vax-hesitant family members. My little grandkid is sitting right there. And I mean, I just love that kid to death. And I'd hate for anything to happen to her. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coming up, aid for Afghans. The Vancouver MP holding an event calling for expedited visas for those who supported the Canadian Armed Forces. Plus, the battleground ridings federal leaders are focusing on heading into the final week of the election campaign. The federal NDP stepping up its campaign to get people out of harm's way in Afghanistan. Vancouver East candidate Jenny Kwan holding a news conference today with people who have loved ones in Afghanistan. Desperation has been growing for people who have loved ones in the country and want to get their families out. Kwan says Canada is requiring people who want to get here to provide biometrics, something that simply isn't possible now that the Taliban control most of the country. Without that data, Afghans can't get the travel documents they need in order to leave the country. Nobody can guess how much the Taliban is dangerous. It's too dangerous. Very bad people. Only, only that people knows killing, killing and killing. Not, not nothing anymore. Think. I just request Canada, this great, great country to, to help me. 
the Canadian government, even in a caretaker mode in the middle of an election, can issue temporary residence permit with the necessary tra temporary travel documents to these families. Toronto's Muslim community has come together to mark the one-year anniversary of a volunteer who was killed outside of a West End mosque. It comes as the community members continue to report a rise in Islamophobia. Brittany Rosen has more. In the weeks and months leading up to his death, 58-year-old Mohammed Aslam's office was giving back to those in need. It's how those here hope to uphold his legacy. Is that not a day goes by as I enter through the doors of this masjid? And I don't look to my right and my left to, to, to looking for that smiling, beautiful, warm face. Last year, his office was killed outside of the International Muslims Organization Mosque in Etobicoke while performing health screening for people at the doors, a painful reality his daughter continues to grapple with. It got taken away so fast, so soon. There's not a day that don't go by. To show their support for a grief-stricken community, politicians, police officers and organizations attended the event. Far too many beautiful folks have been taken from us in the last five years. Community members here say the death of Aslam's office is one of several attacks on the Muslim community, leading many to wonder what's causing the rise in Islamophobia. It's alleged his office's killer had ties to neo-Nazi groups, which experts say have grown over recent years due to an explosion in online hate. The far right in Canada, the racist right in Canada, at its very core, its kind of core DNA, um, is anti-Muslim racism. In 2020, Toronto police say there was a 51% increase in hate crime reports. Across the nation, Statistics Canada says there were nearly 2,700 reports that same year, the most ever. And they say just a small fraction of incidents are reported to police. Anti-Muslim hate is also creeping into the election campaign trail. The Conservatives dropping their candidate in the Toronto riding beaches East York for allegedly making a number of Islamophobic tweets. Instances like this have driven the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association to travel coast to coast, encouraging Canadians to ask them anything about their faith. If we don't share, interact and engage with people, then there's no way for them to actually learn about what Islam teaches. It's an initiative with the intent of support and unity, similar to the way his office lived his life. Brittany Rosen, Global News. Western University officials say they're investigating a number of alleged incidents of sexual violence. Students posting on social media alleging that up to 30 female students were drugged and sexually assaulted in residence over the weekend. In a statement, school officials say they're taking immediate steps to ensure students' safety, including an increased presence of security on campus and in residences. They went on to say sexual violence will not be tolerated. Police have not yet commented on the matter. Federal party leaders campaigned in key battleground ridings today. They addressed fallout from this week's leaders' debates as they try to convince undecided voters in what's shaping up to be a very tight race. Raquel Fletcher reports. Campaigning on the south shore of Montreal Sunday morning, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau took on his three main opponents. The NDP are making choices um, that I don't think stand up to closer scrutiny. $10 date. Child care makes a difference, and we don't get that with Aaron O'Toole. And I think Mr. Blanchette is 
struggling to be relevant. Last week, Quebec Premier François Legault implicitly endorsed a Conservative Party minority, something pundits say could hurt the Liberals in Quebec. On the contrary, what I'm hearing from Quebecers is that they are really preoccupied about the idea of going back to Stephen Harper's targets on the environment. They're really worried that assault weapons might be legal again. Trudeau is facing other hits to his campaign. In a new book, former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould claims he told her to lie during the SNC-Lavalin affair, something the leader denies. And former Liberal MP Selena César Chavan says she will vote Conservative. And that is not leadership when you disrespect members of your team. I want more women to look in a mirror on September 20th and say, you know what, I'm going to vote Conservative. O'Toole says he's not concerned about losing votes to the People's Party of Canada, whose members are accused of being part of angry mobs at Liberal campaign events. Trudeau says leader Maxime Bernier is being irresponsible about inciting hate and violence. (laughs) Thank you, sir, for making my point. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, hoping to pick up a seat in Sudbury, also cautions against voting for the PPC. I don't get why people are going towards that. So putting that aside, I do understand, though, in general, why, why there are people that are feeling really frustrated. Singh says voters who are disappointed the Liberal government failed to deliver on affordable housing and a national pharmacare plan should vote NDP. Raquel Fletcher, Global News, Quebec City. More now on former prominent politicians voting against their former party lines. Selena Caesar Chavan left the Liberal caucus to sit as an independent in 2019. She revealed on Global's The West Block this morning that she will be voting Conservative this time around. Meantime, both the NDP and the Conservatives have seized on allegations by former Liberal MP Jody Wilson-Raybould. In a forthcoming book, she suggests Justin Trudeau wanted her to lie about the SNC-Lavalin scandal. In a tweet yesterday, Wilson-Raybould wished the NDP candidate all the best in Vancouver-Granville, but not all votes are going away from the Liberals. Former Green MLA and BC leader Andrew Weaver has already revealed his intention to vote Liberal as a result of the party's platform. And just as British Columbians prepare to start our vaccine card plan, a passport plan in England has been scrapped, at least for now. Under the scheme, people in England would need to show proof of vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test to gain access to clubs and other events. It was slated to be introduced at the end of the month, but the plan faced opposition from MPs and venues. Now in a U-turn, Britain's health secretary says authorities have decided not to move ahead with the measures. If COVID-19 cases rise, the government might reconsider its decision. The U.S. has hit another milestone in the pandemic. 41 million people have contracted the virus. 16 states have seen an increase in new cases over the past two weeks, as President Joe Biden announced new vaccine requirements affecting millions to try to get the pandemic under control. Jennifer Johnson has more. COVID-19 is still killing more than 1,500 Americans a day. The Centers for Disease Control says the risk of dying is 11 times higher for the unvaccinated. Doctors call these unnecessary deaths. 
how quickly we get uh, to, to a level where cases are low and stay low really depends on what we do collectively, not just the government, but each of us as private citizens. We need to do more. President Joe Biden declared war Thursday on over 30 percent of unvaccinated Americans, ordering millions of federal employees and contractors and healthcare workers to get vaccinated and demanding large private employers mandate shots or require weekly testing. And the president really just made it very simple. This is a pandemic that we can end. The people who are blocking it can no longer be allowed to block it, period. Already some Republicans are pushing back, saying the president has overstepped his powers, which will lead to more vaccine resistance. This is an unprecedented uh, assumption of federal uh, mandate uh, authority that really disrupts and divides the country. This is something that every state uh, has to make decisions on. The American Academy of Pediatrics says children now represent a quarter of all weekly COVID-19 cases. Vaccine makers are rushing to get emergency approval for vaccines for 5 to 11-year-olds. Some doctors believe those could be available by Halloween. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Coming up next, representation on the soccer field. It's the be what you can see. If you can't see someone doing it, it becomes a lot harder. The familiar face taking over the Whitecaps women's program and provision for budding young athletes. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A stunning Sunday morning show. We'll tell you where these orcas were seen in just a moment. And before we get to Yvonne in the forecast, be sure to tune into tomorrow's news hour to find out who will win this year's PE prize home. For the first time in a long time, this year's home is located in Metro Vancouver. The four bedroom and four and a half bathroom home in South Surrey is valued at $1.8 million. More than 239,000 people attended this year's fair which was limited, of course, in capacity because of the pandemic. So be sure to tune in at 6.30 precisely, as Jack Webster would say it, during the news hour Monday night when the winning ticket will be drawn live on the air. So as we look at people in their shorts and shirts, it's bringing me to all just Yvonne Shell right now. And my jaw is still a little bit on the floor because during commercial break, you mentioned the S word, snow. Snow. <laughs> what? potential. There is a slight potential for the okay. first snowfall of the season. And I'll show you where it's really higher elevations than anyone who may be potentially traveling along the connector as well as the Coquihalla. So I'll outline what it means. There's a lot of uncertainty, but this is just more of a heads up, especially if anyone's still camping um, and traveling through those regions. First off, though, along the south coast of Metro Vancouver, closer to sea level, we've had a fair bit of sunshine. It's cleared out out there. Temperatures are currently sitting at 17 degrees and we've got a southwesterly wind at 13 kilometers per hour. The instability at this hour is still for the southeastern corners of the province. We're still seeing some lightning strikes near Nelson and Cranbrook, so there is still that risk of a thunderstorm for the early evening hours. Overnight tonight for Metro Vancouver, we do have an increase in cloud cover. Back to work and school for tomorrow. We'll have that cloud cover in the morning, more clearing by the afternoon, and dry with some sunshine and highs closer to 19 degrees. Now, the next weather maker and frontal system that is pushing in across the province will take aim, especially along the north and central coast. And through the day tomorrow, it may even brush along the northern tip of Vancouver Island. A clearing, though, for the interior and into the southeastern corners of the province and most areas across Metro Vancouver and the south coast will benefit with dry conditions. The wet weather is going to push in, and this will be on Tuesday. Now, the timeline 
fine if you're heading higher elevations. This is 1,500 metres and above will be on Wednesday morning. Stay tuned. There's lots of uncertainty, but this is where we could see that potential for some snowfall. It'll be a light dusting if we do see any. And with the frontal system that is going to pass through this weather maker, so a bit of a dusting. It's for hikers, anyone who may still be camping. It's Thursday morning that we could even see some frost. I see Barry's mouth just dropping the side on the side there. But yes, so there is a heads up. This is Wednesday, higher elevations tune back in. And then on Thursday, where we could see some frost for the early morning hours. But we're still into summer, and I'll show you why in the long range in just a moment. Now, the northern half of the province, we are going to see that wet weather. Temperatures are at 13 degrees and the rain intensifies through the day. Much of the southern interior for tomorrow will see a clearing as we get in through the afternoon. And along the south coast, morning cloud cover, afternoon sunshine. Pleasant tomorrow with temperatures up to 19 degrees. Tuesday looks to be the soaker so far. Periods of rain, a cooler day. And then Wednesday, it does rebound for the south coast and metro Vancouver. We'll have plenty of sunshine. Once again, though, just a slight potential. We'll keep a close eye. So tune back in. That's for Wednesday and Thursday if you're traveling for higher elevations and along the mountain passes. Nithu? All right, a little bit of an unexpected turn in the forecast there. Thanks, Yvonne. Staying outside, a stunning sight in Active Pass this morning as a pod of orcas put on a spectacular show. A video was sent to us by Tim Dubois. It shows orcas of all sizes breaching one after the other. He says he started recording shortly after the rain started in the area. Dubois lives on Salt Spring Island and says he boats all year round, but has never seen so many orcas displaying this kind of behavior. Dubois says he got the impression the orcas were celebrating the end of the drought. Amazing video there. Such show-offs, those <laughs> No big no deal. No kidding. Absolutely. What will you be showing off in sports, Barry? Well, it was the first NFL Sunday of the season, and the Seahawks had a tough matchup at Indianapolis against the Colts, but uh, Seahawks looked very good, so we'll have highlights of their opening season win. And also, we'll uh, talk uh, football of the soccer variety, Whitecaps investing in uh, the future of women's soccer. We'll have that story as well. Great stories. All right, we'll look forward to all that. Thanks so much, Barry. Also ahead, a cougar in the city. It was eye-to-eye contact, and it wasn't more than 10 feet from us. Reaction as police shoot and kill a cougar prowling through a residential neighborhood in Alberta on Saturday. They call it Vancouverism. It's a term that's become synonymous among urban planners to describe a carefully planned downtown core, where high-density residential neighbourhoods are built with green spaces in mind. Tall, thin towers fill out the core, all while preserving views of mountains and the harbour. Walking, cycling and transit are promoted, and yes, even vehicles play a role, but certainly it's not the preferred mode of travel. Site in a Lethbridge community Saturday afternoon as a cougar wandered over into a residential neighborhood. Sadly, it didn't end well for the animal and a warning. Some viewers may find the videos and photos disturbing. Jessica Robb reports. People living in the Uplands neighborhood had quite the scare on Saturday afternoon. Michelle Winiski and Kelsey and Andrew Watson were out taking part in the Recycle Rendezvous. Drove down the alley. We just looked left and... There it was, a big cat. And not just any big cat, a cougar, estimated to be about six feet. Andrew Watson is a big game hunter, so he's no stranger to cougars in the wild. But in the city, that's a different story. They're not an animal to mess with. They're a wild animal, right? Corner them, they'll take you out. It was pretty overwhelming, really. 
at first. I couldn't believe my eyes when I actually seen it. The cougar jumped a fence and into a backyard. Neighbors were told by police to stay inside. It was eye-to-eye contact, and it wasn't more than 10 feet from us. And like you, we could tell right off the bat, like, it's, it's no game, right? They just heard a big bang, and everybody's like, what the heck? They came out of their yards, like, what happened? And then they're all shocked seeing a huge cougar in the middle of the alley. With no immediate response from Alberta Fish and Wildlife, police euthanized the cougar, saying it caused an immediate threat, especially with kids in the area. A Fish and Wildlife officer then came to take the animal away. Winiski and Watson say the entire thing lasted about 15 minutes. It was a little shocking to see. Did we see what we really think we saw? Did we really see that? Alberta Fish and Wildlife told Global News that cougar sightings in the city are actually pretty rare. Typically, they get calls about cougars in surrounding areas and here in the River Valley. Now, officials do say that if you run into a cougar, do not run and do not turn your back. Instead, make yourself big and speak loudly. And for those involved, it's an incident they won't soon forget. After you sit back and it's like, holy cow, that's crazy. We just, we really just saw what we saw. Jessica Robb, Global News. Coming up, community soccer celebrations. This is something they really enjoy and love to, to do. The unexpected mascot joining a weekly game and what it's like likely to have attracted the animal to the sport may surprise you. Part of the virtual bladder cancer awareness walk on september 25th and 26th walk in your area to help raise awareness and funds to support the 80,000 canadians facing bladder cancer your support will fund further research and patient support across canada bccwalk.ca for details don't miss make happy day happening across canada on september 22nd when you visit a mcdonald's canada restaurant a portion of the proceeds from every menu item sold goes to ronald mcdonald house charity if you wanna know, it's on the hub. If you wanna show, it's on the hub. If you wanna go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, another busy day in sports. Barry's got it all for you. Where are we starting, Barry? We're going to start with the NFL, one of your favorites, I know. We were just <laughs> talking about that. She's a beginner, but she's still, I love it. I'm getting there. All right, thanks, Neithu. Uh, well, equipped with a new offensive coordinator, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks answered some questions in their season opener at Indianapolis. Even though they barely played during the preseason together, Wilson and the offense looked like a well-oiled machine as they took apart a Colts defense that is pretty highly regarded in the NFL 28-16 the final Seahawks, and it wasn't really that close. Hawks don't mind the early start since 2018, 11-1 in games that kick off at 10 a.m. our time. Offense came out firing. First possession, first pass, a completion and uh, a major Wilson to Tyler Lockett. How about that adjustment by Lockett looking straight over and back, 24 yards, 7-3 Hawks. Second quarter, and it's Wilson again. Seahawks on the move, and he'll zip it for Gerald Everett. First catch as a Seahawk is a major for the tight end, 14-3. Seattle in front. Now, not many throw the deep ball with the accuracy better than Wilson. 
This is a 60-yard launch from the throw to the catch, and it's absolutely perfect for Tyler Lockett. In stride, right in his hands, 69 yards overall for the touchdown. Three catches, 96 yards for Lockett in the first half. Seahawks led 21-10 at the break. The defense also had a strong game in all facets. Daryl Taylor brings down Colts quarterback Carson Wentz on fourth down. Three sacks on the day for the Hawks. And then Wilson will seal the deal with his fourth touchdown pass of the day, firing a strike to D.J. Metcalf. Wilson with a 152.3 quarterback rating today, second highest ever in his career as the Seahawks impressive in their opener, 28-16 over the Colts. I thought we played with great tempo. I thought we also were, were able to control the game, but yet still be explosive, still get the ball out quick and, and do all the, the plethora of things that we can do. There's nothing we can't do. And so I think that it, um, it always starts with offensive line. They did a great job tonight. And then I think from there, we got a lot of playmakers. Kyler Murray and the Cardinals figure to be in the NFC West hunt. They were on the road in Nashville taking on the Tennessee Titans. Murray had a big day, finds DeAndre Hopkins over the middle. Hopkins with his second touchdown of the game, 17-0 Arizona. And like Russell Wilson, Murray had four touchdown passes. This one to Christian Kirk, very similar to the Tyler Lockett TD. Cardinals thrashed the Titans 38-13. Steelers and Bills from Buffalo. Abbotsford's Chase Claypool looking to follow up that amazing rookie season. Chase with a classic Mapletron grab here. Claypool three catches, 45 yards on the day. Also had a 25-yard rush as well. Steelers outscored the Bills 23-6 in the second half. Ben Roethlisberger to Deontay Johnson for the touchdown as the Steelers upset the Bills in Buffalo 23-16. A lot of people like the Bills in the AFC this year. Browns and Chiefs, two of the favorites in the AFC. Browns led in the second quarter. Add to the lead on the Nick Chubb 18-yard touchdown run. 22-10 Cleveland at the half. But Patrick Mahomes just can't lose, literally, at least in September. Second touchdown pass of the game to Travis Kelsey. Chiefs win at 33-29. Mahomes is 11-0 in September in his young career with 35 touchdown passes and no interceptions. Now that is perfect. Michael Riley was named the CFL's Offensive Player of the Month for August, but uh, honestly, he didn't do a whole lot, just two touchdown passes. It was more like no one else did anything any better. But last night, Riley showed his class with four touchdown passes in the Lions' most explosive performance of the season as they crushed the Red Blacks of Ottawa 45-13. Riley rolls to his right, looking back to the other side of the field, got another open target. Javon Couture catch, breaks a tackle into the end zone, touchdown. Oh, he's putting it Riley going deep, it up. has a man, Brian Burnham makes the catch with the flag and a touchdown. Brian Burnham with a tough catch, what else is new? Quick Uh-oh. pass this time to Burnham, a little behind him, but he's able to oh touch, change oh direction, and, and into the end zone, Brian Burnham with another touchdown. Having one or two uh, star caliber players makes things nice, but having a, a group of five wide receivers that play at that um, level like they do um, makes it very challenging for teams to be able to stop us because um, you know we can go anywhere with the ball. 
Men's U.S. Open final, Novak Djokovic looking to win the calendar slam. All failed four majors in 2021, but Russian Daniil Medvedev had other ideas. Medvedev won the first set 6-4, only lost three points on his serve the entire set. Second set, Djokovic frustrated after missing two chances to break serve, crushes the racket. Medvedev took that set 6-4 as well. Third set, Medvedev already up a break. Djokovic misses an easy volley. It's another break. Djokovic played horribly today. Match point, another big serve for Medvedev, and it's over in just two hours, 15. 6-4, 6-4, 6-4. Medvedev's first Grand Slam title. Djokovic has 20, tied for first all-time with Federer and Nadal. Could have broke that today, but it wasn't close. Toronto Blue Jays will be sad to leave Baltimore after another blistering hitting display against the Orioles. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. with the Grand Slam. Maybe you've heard that this year. It's the fourth time he's hit a Grand Slam this year. 5-0 Jays. That's a Blue Jay record, by the way. Four slams in a season. Later in the game, Teoscar Hernandez up with the bases loaded. And he, too hits a grand slam. Jays hit five homers, put up 22 runs against the Sad Sackos, just two off their all-time record. In their last three games, Toronto scored 44 runs. They now lead the AL wildcard, percentage points ahead of Boston and ahead of the Yankees by a half, 22-7, the final. Italy Grand Prix, the Italian Grand Prix, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton going head-to-head all season for the championship and uh, a little too close today, involved in a good crack up there. Both drivers done for the day. Everyone was okay, but uh, the top two drivers out of the competition, so it was a free run for McLaren. A 1-2 finish. Daniel Ricciardo winning for the first time in a couple years. Lando Norris second. Lance Stroll of Montreal seventh. Nicholas Latifi was 11th. Canada's women's soccer gold will go down as one of the greatest moments in Canadian sports history. And young players like game-winning goal scorer Julia Grasso of Burnaby and Chilliwack's Jordan Heidema were key to the victory. And to ensure future success, the Whitecaps have hired a familiar face to keep that talent pipeline flowing. So, three passes before you transfer to the other square, okay? Emma Humphreys is back with the Whitecaps doing what she loves, developing the next crop of Canada's elite soccer players. Humphreys was with the Whitecaps from 2014 to 18, running their girls program. Then she went to England and was an assistant coach with the Liverpool women's team. And now she's back in Vancouver in charge of keeping the talent pool strong, not only in BC, but all across Canada. I think it's just really important to get the best kids playing with the best kids every day and and pushing each other in the group. The environment's got to be right, you know, across all four corners, making sure that it's a positive environment that's going to push them in every way. We're trying to do the best that we can as, as, a, as a pro club to give back into, into the female development area. And we've really given her the, the, the scope and blank canvas to, to say, hey, as a club, you know, let's do this, let's do more of this. So we're relying on her experience to help us through this. You can't start in there and just chill. You've got to, like, explode in there. The players can only get better with the proper direction, so Humphreys is also very focused on mentoring coaches as well, and specifically female coaches. I just think for females to see themselves in someone winning things and doing it in their own way is really important. If you, you know, it's the be what you can see. If you can't see someone doing it, it becomes a lot harder for you to, to see it as a pathway for your future. 
Of course, Canada was led to Olympic gold by a female coach, Bev Priestman, who just happens to be Humphrey's life partner and co-parent to their three-year-old son, Jack. We try our best not to coach together, so we sort of try and do our careers alongside each other rather than necessarily like every day being being together at work because, you know, we, we also have a three-year-old son, so I'm sure he gets bored of, of football already. There's no doubt women's soccer in Canada is on an all-time high, and they want to ride that momentum into the future. Humphreys has had a front seat observing the impact of that Olympic gold. She gets stopped everywhere she goes and uh, and told about many different stories, you know, waking their little girls up at 5 a.m. to watch that game, uh, beating the Americans for the first time in 20-something years. Like, it's uh, one woman stopped us crying the other day at the swimming pool with our three-year-old, you know, just saying, like, it's, it's just amazing. Well, there's a lot of great young soccer players in the country to find, so we'll keep our eye on Emma and see how she's doing. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Barry. And we'll be right back with the story of how a weekly soccer game in Delta attracted an unexpected mascot. Welcome back, everybody. Well, sights, sounds, and smells can be powerful triggers for anyone's memories, and not just for humans. As Jay Durant found out in tonight's This Is BC, sense memory has led to an unexpected mascot at a weekly soccer match in Delta. Sunday night is game night for the local greenhouse workers from Mexico and Guatemala. It's also Tika's favorite night of the week. We noticed on Sunday evenings she would have a strong desire to leave the house and want to come to the park. And we didn't understand at first. She would literally drag her owners down the street to Delta Secondary. And then it started to make sense. I think she recognizes the voices and uh, they play music and they cook food and it just it reminds her of home, I think. Tika is a rescue dog from Mexico and it seems the sights and sounds at the park are quite familiar to her. <laughs> the Latino Workers Ministry started these games to give people a little release after a long week on the job. We just planned something to not just bring this anxiety and the stress out, but this is something they really enjoy and love to, to do. It's a little bit like watching your favorite club team in action, scaled down of course, but they do have everything they need. Professional announcers, a great fan base, a makeshift concession stand, and now just in time for the playoffs, an unofficial mascot. Normally she's not real comfortable around people and she feels quite at home here. Jay Durant, Global News. Just fantastic. Well, if you at home know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people should know about, you can email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Oh, I love that story. Another great one. <laughs> uh, Yvonne, one final check on the weather before we let her... File cover in the morning, sunshine for the afternoon. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Jordan Armstrong is back here with Global News at 11, and the season premiere of 60 Minutes is next.